So, went to a funeral yesterday that was here uh, for Robbie Dickinson, and uh, I've been in my life at all kinds of different funerals, uh, some for people I've known very, very well, and others for people I didn't know as well, necessarily. Um, I've been at funerals where the mood is somber, tragedy came in. Uh, I have been at funerals where everything is happy and joyful and it's a celebration. I've been to those types of funerals and everything in between. And uh, I will say that our church does a great job of making sure that the funerals are great times together and celebrations and things like that. And I think what one of the distinguishing marks of what we do and what we believe is resurrection. And if you look at the people, if you look at the people across the world and why people are unhappy oftentimes at funerals or why people uh, don't have joy at funerals because they don't understand what God's promise really is. Resurrection is one of those great key pieces of believing in God. If you have faith in God, then believe that he will forgive you and that he is a merciful God. And not only that in this life, but he will take you to heaven to be with him. He will resurrect not just your spirit, but your body. He will raise you up. That's a unique thing to Christianity. All of those pieces come together are a very unique thing. And it's about forgiveness and mercy. Not about trying to outweigh the bad things you do. But, because there's a lot of religions out there that believe that. But about just saying, God is a loving God. God is a forgiving God. And I'm a sinner. And I need his forgiveness. And if I take his forgiveness and believe in his word, then I am going to see this real, true resurrection. And that resurrection is something that's so strange and so unique. I oftentimes... When I'm in a, in a graveyard, I've gone and stood up at our little graveyard there. I wonder what it's going to be like on that morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. I wonder what it's like standing in that graveyard. I wonder if there'll be somebody standing in that graveyard at that moment before people just get up and out of the graves. Is it going to be a cracking open of the earth? Is it going to be, uh, do they just dig themselves? I don't know. I don't know. Does God open the earth? Does God shake it all up? I have no idea. But it's going to be something. And it's going to be their real true bodies. Does God bring them up and sort of bring their molecules back together? All right. I don't know how God's going to do it. But I believe that God is capable of doing it. And that is what makes Christianity and just the belief in God so unique. That he was the first of his kind in that he rose from the dead all right, on his own power. And from him all things 
came out of him. Now, he was not the first in time on the timeline to be raised, but he was the one and only on his own power to raise himself. All right? God's power was direct in his resurrection. So I think about that funeral and say, you have joy, you have hope because of this. This is one of those key things is that we believe, we believe, and we are happy because... We're happy because we have hope. And in this world, there are so many people without hope. You see people get more and more sorrowful and sad and lonely in this world today because the world really offers nothing. And the more you seek for, for satisfaction or even just uh, a calmness in your life from the world. You just don't get it. You can't get it from there. You can only get it from God. So this resurrection is this very unique piece of what we believe. Now, we talked about, originally we talked about Elijah. Um, going back to the first death, uh, Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills Abel, and Abel is the first death in the Bible, the first physical death in the Bible, all right? And when he dies, the problem shows up. What are we going to do? His body is gone. Now, the curse came about when Adam and Eve sinned. But remember, he's the very first to have lost his physical life. He's gone. So there's Adam and Eve with their son, who is the first dead body. And no doubt, they buried him or covered him over with stones or something. Uh, We don't really know those details, but what a moment of hopelessness as mom and dad look on their own child and say, we did this. We started this. All for that fruit. One bite of fruit, if I could take that back. And yet, from that springs the beginning of hope. And that death was very final, except it wasn't final when resurrection shows up. And so God begins touching his power in a very unique way on humankind. It begins to teach people about resurrection. So the first story, and we we talked about Elijah um, back a couple weeks ago. Elijah and the woman with the oil and the um, wheat and oil and the jar that keeps going. Of course, her son then dies, and Elijah goes and prays for her son and gets on top of the body, and boom, he comes back to life. All right? God's power is able to do it. All right? God's power is able to do it. The very first person ever to do that. And then we talked about Elisha, Elijah's successor, Elisha. And Elisha has the woman at Shunem, and 
she believes and her son is, again, resurrected. So we see the second one. Now, here's a very unique little thing. Um, when we look at this one, we're talking Elisha again. And if you recall, when Elijah brought Elisha around. And really, um, I think at the beginning, there was a little bit of tension between Elijah and Elisha. And remember, Elijah was that rough man of the mountains, want to be alone, want to be left alone. I run in, I tell the king what I need to, and I'm gone. Right? He was just that tough guy, and he wasn't necessarily a relator. Okay? Elisha comes in, and he's a different type of fellow. And Elijah comes down and says, all right, God says you're going to be the next one. And Elijah says, well, I got to go back, and I got to do, I got to, I got to tell my dad, and I got to do some things. I got to, ah, well, whatever, and he walks away. And Elisha comes with him, and eventually over time they become inseparable, the team, Elijah and Elisha. So much so that Elisha won't leave him alone, and at the end of Elijah's life on earth, he's walking with him to each town, and Elijah keeps walking and going and says, just, just, I'm good, I'll be good, I'll be on my own. And Elisha says, no way, I am not leaving you alone. I know today's the day that you're going to be taken from me, so I'm not leaving you till you're gone. And Elijah next town says, Dad, just, just leave me alone. I'll go. You'll be fine. You stay here. No way. Finally, Elisha says, can I ask you something? I would like what you have. Only I want a double portion of God. God's spirit. I want twice of what you had and if you really dig there, I think Elisha thought, man, I've messed up so much in my life. I need twice as much. This guy, he's just staunch and goes at it and makes it happen. But I need twice of what God has because I'm twice the sinner and twice uh, I've messed up twice as much as Elijah has in his life. Elisha was then told by Elijah, well, I will give you... Uh, God will give you that double portion if you see me when I go. And the story, of course, is that that sweet chariot comes down a fire and grabs Elijah right off, and and Elisha watches him go up into heaven. And so, and his his uh, kind of scarf wrap that he has drops to the ground. He picks it up, and he has that double portion. Now we watch, and Elisha does a lot of amazing, miraculous things in his life. But Elisha, too, comes to the end of his life. And there's always transitions. This is what you do be aware of as you read the Bible. And we look and we read over a story and say, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's good, and we'll pick one thing that we want to learn out of. But you should understand God is always transitioning leaders. He's transitioning people. He's transitioning countries. He's transitioning cities. He's transitioning governments at all times. And God's hand is in it, even when you don't think so. So Elisha comes to the end of his life, and he is standing with his king. His king is sad. Now, his king didn't really have much to do with him his whole life. But now he realizes that Elisha, the man of God, is about to die. He's sick. 
and he's going to leave. And all those blessings and all that connection with God just sort of might fade away. So he goes to visit Elisha. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. 2 Kings chapter number 13. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse number 14. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick... Of his sickness whereof he died. So this is going to kill him in the end. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And, the, and Elijah said unto him, Take a bow and arrows. And, and he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand under the bow. And he put his hand on it, on it. and Elijah, or Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. And Elijah said, shoot, and he shot. And he, said, uh, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed, or stopped. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou should have, smut, uh, have smitten five or six times. Then thou hadst smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria, but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of Moabs, of the Moabites, invaded the land at the coming in of the year. So, Joash, this king of, it, of Israel, comes down. Uh, I need this help. Uh, you know, I really want God. I'm worried about the Syrians. They're going to come in and take us over. And Elisha says, you take a bow and arrow, open the window. And he grabs his hands. As you feel this, shoot an arrow. And he shoots it out the window. Now... You're going to take Syria like you shoot these arrows. So do it. Shoot. Shoots. He picks another one. Shoots. And he's like, all right, I'll do a third one. No fervor in it. He kind of just went through the motions. And Elisha says, you just don't have it. You don't understand. You have to be on fire for God. You have to do. When God says, go, you go. You do it. If you'd have done it five or six or ten times, God would have just wiped out the Syrians and you'd have won those problems. But instead, you're going to beat them back three times and then they're coming. All right? You'll beat them back three times because you shot three arrows, but they're coming. And then Elisha dies. And they bury him. And very shortly after... Because the king was so worried about the Syrians, so worried about what was going to happen with the Syrians, in come the Moabites, a whole different country, a whole different group of people. Never thought about it. And the point was this, that they should have, the king should have been worried about getting close to God, not about, can I defeat this enemy? Quick, I got to get this before you die i got to get this all straightened out before you die. 
Because I know when you die, he, God listens to you. He's not going to listen to me. Right? But the king doesn't understand. So the interesting thing about it is when he dies, all of a sudden, the whole country gets invaded by these Moabites. There's bands of Moabites showing up everywhere. They're going in, they're raiding people's homes, they're stealing things from everywhere they can get. They're killing people on the sides of the roads. If you run into one of these bands, you're in trouble. All of that is in this transition time, right? The man of God just died. And what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? He's sick and he died. So here's a time of loss and a time of transition with this country. And everybody thought, well, the presence of God just left. That was it. And you see that in countries when you see, or, or even, uh, even our nation, you see a man that passes away like a, a Billy Graham or something. There's a loss felt in the nation. Who fills in that gap? The prayer, the connection with God, the understanding about our country and way things should be and the way things should go. And leaders come and then God brings to the end and says There's, that season's done with that, with that leader. That season is finished. And many people who don't understand God then say, well, it's over. He left. It's over. God's not even going to work anymore. We all hang our heads and go back to, well, he's gone. What are we going to do? The point is God is still working. And here's how we know it. The next verse, chapter 13, verse number 21. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men. So here come the Moabites. These guys got them... Uh, they've got their friend that just passed away, and they're carrying him up, and they're going to go bury him. And there over the hilltops comes a band of Moabites. They're going to get us. And this is the way these people are living. They're going to get us. We've got to run. And so they find the nearest grave. They must have been at the edge of a graveyard or something. They open up this grave, and they literally throw the body in there. Quick, throw it in there. Let's seal it up. And we're going to run because we're in trouble. Second half of that verse, number 21. They spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. There it is. <laughs> you throw the dead guy in and run. Except he gets up and runs out with you. What are you doing, right? Because God was still at work, regardless of Elisha being gone, right? And they had to know that it was God's work. Elisha's bones weren't magic. It was the God that was working behind them that was the incredible part of the miracle. I'm still here, guys. You got to come find me, but I'm still here. And so they throw the guy in, and that must have been quite something, right? 
to wake up. Now, they didn't expect it. I don't know if they knew it was Elisha's or they didn't know it was Elisha's grave. Uh, but it just touched the edge of his bones and boom, up he comes. Must have been quite a thing. I bet you they were shocked. They weren't scared of the Moabites anymore. <laughs> Out he comes and says, what are you guys hiding for, right? What are we doing here? Must have been something. But that was a miracle. The resurrection we see is a miracle of God. And it is there, I think, for many reasons, but it is there to show us that very uh, certain principle that God has not left us. I don't feel close to God. That man of God died. He was our only connection. But that's not really the way God wants it to be. God wants us each to seek him. And us each to believe him. And us each to know and have a relationship with him. That's what he wants. And so that miracle, when the when it hits the bones and the guy jumps up and comes out, he's got some stories to tell. Goes back, you know, to a crying household and says, hi, I'm back. Right? Can you imagine that? Sits up in the coffin, right? Bet you've never been in a funeral with that. Sits up in the coffin and says, hey, I'm good. I'm all set. I'm back. God is still in the miracle business, right? He is still working and he has not left them. Even though they feel like they are living in fear. They feel like they need to run at every turn. They cannot stand where they are. They can't even take the time to bury their friends right. Right? Because there's so much fear. I mean, that should ring clear to a lot of people here. Right? So much fear that we can't even do those basic things. I, don't know, I can't even, I gotta run. Can't even do that. That should ring very clear because we live in a society where fear is rampant. God says, no, 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 I'm here. I'm still here. You may think it is tragic and everything's gone and it's all fallen apart, but it's just not true. I'm still here. And I'm still the same powerful God and I still can do amazing things and I'm looking for you and your heart still. The very same thing. I'm still looking for that. So there is that. There is that dead man, now alive, who's got a lot of stories to tell. And it was Elijah, Elisha's double portion from Elijah that promised that God is still keeping his promises, right? He says, I'll give you the double portion. Not only will you raise people when you're alive. Remember, Elisha died, and we only have record of one person he raised from the dead. And Elijah also raised one. Yeah, we'll do it through your dead bones. You'll raise another one when you're... So you've got the double portion now of the Spirit, because God is keeping his promises. And that is what we need to remember in a world that has no hope, is that we have hope. We know that there's better things coming. And... I don't know if that is in this world the way that things will be. I don't know. 
Things could change and turn up rosy and be wonderful for everybody, or they might be hard. I don't know that. But I do know that God promises that he will not leave us. Right? I will be with you even to the end of the world. He promises that he will forgive us when we fall, when we mess up, when we even choose to do the wrong thing. God says, I'll turn you around and I'll help you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you strength for whatever you have. Every promise is still good that God had, even when the world seems like it's falling apart. Promises are yes from God. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians to finish up. Here's a great verse to always have on our mind when we're wondering this. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Verse number 20, when we're wondering, God, are you still out there? You still listening? Are your promises still good or did you forget? This is a very simple verse. Paul says it to the Corinthians. Verse 20 of chapter 1 of 2 uh, Corinthians for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So that old English means everything that God says is yes, still good. And amen, that finishes it. That means when you say amen at the end of a prayer, which is how we use that word typically, you're saying, I concur. I agree with these things. I am going along with these things, and it is finished. Right? I concur. So when it says God's promises are yes, and I concur, that means you will always be able to believe that they will happen. God said it so, heaven and earth could fall apart, and God's going to keep his promise. You could say there's no way for him to keep his promise, because this changed and that changed and that changed, and he says, I'll turn the world upside down if I need to to keep my promise. They are yea and amen, and it finishes it, because God's word is final. When he says it, it's true forevermore. I will do it. And so when we have hope in God and who he is, that he is still working. He has not left us. Regardless of our situation and where we stand and the things that have come our way and the future that is unsure all around us, we can be sure that God is still at work. Because look, at God can raise a body off of hitting the dead bones. Because it doesn't really matter. He's still in control. His promises are yea and amen. Thank you very much.